which moments of life do you feel most loved? When people that I love choose to spend time with me and doing things that I really enjoy. When I'm reading the Bible, when I'm with my family and friends, and when I'm with Jesus followers. Whose example of love inspires you and why? Lily Potter from the Harry Potter series, because she was so willing to sacrifice her own life to save her sons. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German um, theologian and minister who formed part of the resistance movement in Nazism um, before and during World War II. In an environment where society in general, but also the church, was either complicit or, or silent with what was the wrong that was happening around them, he had the courage to stand up. Bron Arnott really inspires me. I love how she shows so much love for the people in need in our community. She's always there to listen to them, to pray with them and to pray for them. And her love for Jesus, she, show, she shows and gives to us all. The examples of love that I find most inspirational, parents of special needs children um, who sacrifice and advocate and care and love through their tiredness and their sorrow day after day, year after year. Good morning. I'm loving hearing those Vox Pops as they go along. It's really fantastic. This morning, I want to talk to you about two sons, a dad, two mums and a daughter, and one magnificent father. We've been looking at this topic of greatest love, and we've looked at a few love stories, and I want to tell you one of the greatest love stories there ever was told. It's the story of the prodigal son, and as I've been pondering this story of the prodigal son over the last few weeks, it's actually become apparent to me, strangely enough, that I yearn to be the younger son. There's something about what that younger son does that makes me envious. But I'll go into that later. This story is found in the book of Luke, in chapter 15, verse 11 to 32. You might want to have a look at it. You might want to open up a Bible follow along, uh, or you can just listen in to me telling the story. This is how it starts. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So this son comes to his father and he says, Father, give me my share. And this is really huge because it's not just like give me some cash that's coming to me. This is his share that will come to him when his father dies at the end of his life. The son might get his inheritance and this son is asking for it earlier. And the father divides his estate and gives this younger son his share of the estate. And the story goes on to tell about how that son wandered off into a faraway land and he squandered that money. While he had the money, he had loads of friends, he lived the high life, he did whatever. But at some stage, that money began to run out. And suddenly, he found himself needing to work to earn a living. And at some point in his journey, he was so destitute that he was starving and hungry. And he got a job feeding pigs. And as he was feeding the pigs, he realised he was so desperately hungry that he wanted to eat the slops that the pigs were eating. He'd come a long way and he'd hit rock, hit rock bottom. 
And this is what it says. That younger son, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. I love this story. It's amazing. So something happened in that son where he decided it was time to go back to his father to eat humble pie and say, I'm no longer worthy of being considered your son. And I wonder what that long journey home must have been like. I wonder that, that pain in him. He, remember, he was destitute. He was starving. He was broken. And he headed back. And this is what it says. So he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the father and the son said to him, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no, no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, quick, bring the robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his hand and bring the fattened calf we're going to celebrate. That was the father's response. The father fell on his neck and embraced him. This son of mine who was lost has been found. The, the emotion in this story is palpable. That father runs to his son when he sees him coming. I found this image, uh, which I think is just beautiful. Um, you know, a, a father, you know, in all his garments, running. And, and when I look at that picture of his face, I'm struck by the, the desperation in him. He is running to that son. It's almost like I can imagine he has thought of this day. Maybe somewhere way back, he was angry and he was cross and he said, I'm never letting that boy home. Who knows what, what he went through. But in this space, he is desperate for that son to be back, and he's running towards him with vigor. The reason I love it is because it reminds me of something that happened in my life, of a story in my life. Uh, and it, it, it just strikes me, and I, I figured I'd tell it today. Four years ago, I had the privilege of meeting my biological mother. I was adopted uh, back in 1974 from the Crown Street Women's Hospital uh, and I hadn't met my biological mother for 43 years. Something happened in my life, a number of different things changed and I decided that whilst I had a mum who put the band-aids on my knees and raised me and you know, paid for all the things that I need and cared for me and tucked me into bed at night, uh, and, and set me on a path and, and showed me tenacity and capability in my life, there was actually something I was still yearning for. And I really wanted to find out who my biological mother was. So I remember filling out the forms and I remember going to the letterbox, the post office, and putting an envelope with the forms to try and find her into the letterbox. And I remember telling myself all of the reasons why this story would not be a happy ending. 
She probably doesn't want to know who I am. She's probably never thought of me since. I'm probably a secret that she's kept from everybody. She won't want a bar of me. And I told myself all those stories, and yet there was something in me that needed to know. So I posted that letter. And sometime later, I got a response. I got an original birth certificate, and I got a phone call um, from the agency. And they rang me up to say, are you okay? Have you got all the supports that you need in place to do this journey? And I remember being on the phone and saying to the lady speaking to me, well, you know, it's complicated. I expect that, you know, this person, whoever she is, she won't, she won't want to know me. She's probably never thought about me, you know, since, you know, I was born. Uh, and she probably doesn't want to connect with me. And the lady on the end of the phone said, actually, that's what I'm ringing for. You see, in these situations, my form puts my name in a reunion register. And if there's a match name in the reunion register, then they'll connect the two of us. And I expected that my name would sit in there and wait, and wait, and wait, and wait, and go wanting, and wait forever. But the lady on the phone said, I'm ringing to tell you there's a match. There's a match in the reunion register. Your biological mother does want to know you, and she's wanted to know you for quite some time. And I remember saying, how long? And the lady said, this person applied to the reunion register in 1989. And it blew me away. I, I want to cut a long story short, because if I tell the full story, I'll end up in tears and you won't understand a word that I'm saying. But there was a point at which uh, we met. We found one another, we connected uh, through messages, and then one day we decided that we would meet. And she lives in New South Wales, so my friend and I hopped in the car and we drove to New South Wales. And I remember pulling up outside a park in the town where she lived, and I remember getting out of the car, and I remember having this weak-at-the-knees thing going on. And my friend put her arm under my elbow, and she sort of marched me over to the edge of the path, uh, to the edge of the park. And what I saw next was profound, because I looked over, and there, making a beeline towards me, was a woman on a mission. She was coming towards me like a freight train, on purpose, for a reason. And the next thing I knew, I was utterly embraced. I was just engulfed and embraced. And I was, in some ways, home. There's a photo of the two of us meeting a few years ago in the park. There was a moment in there where I think I heard God. I'm not sure. I may have heard God later when I was reflecting on the moment, kind of when I was reliving it in the days later. But he may have said it in that exact moment. But what I heard God say was, you think that's big love? You think that is putting you back together? You think that's deep belonging and embrace? That's nothing, my girl. That's nothing compared to the belonging and the embrace that you would have from me, from your heavenly father. Because the thing that my biological mother said to me when she was embracing me there, she said, I've always loved you. I've always loved you. I've always loved you. And God, speaking over what I felt like was my right shoulder, said, you think that's big love? I have always loved you. I have always loved you. And it was really profound. So I, I think about the, the story of the prodigal son 
and I think about my own reunion in that moment, and I think about what does it mean? Because for me, that story was magnificent. It was huge. There was deep healing. There was big belonging going on for me in that moment. And yet God is saying to me, that's nothing. That's nothing compared to the kind of belonging, the kind of embrace, the kind of love that I offer you. But there's another character in this story that I want to address for just a moment, and that's the older brother, the other son. This is what it says in the passage, in verse 25-26. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. So he said to the servant, what's going on, what's happening? And the servant says, well, haven't you heard? Your long-lost brother's home and your father's embraced him and he's put a ring on his finger and a robe on him and he's killed the fattened calf because we're having a mighty feast. The brother that was lost is home. And this is what the brother says. Actually, I'll just, just put a bit of context before I read it. The father hears that the other brother doesn't want to come in So the father goes out to the older brother and says, come on, come in. And this is what the brother says in response. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeying your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Wow, it's a big response from that older brother. The father says this in response. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost And is found. We had to celebrate. But it's the line that says, everything I have is yours. You've always been with me, is what the father said. I wonder what went wrong for the older brother. He seems more interested in the father's things than in the father's heart. He worked hard. He was a good son. He did what he needed. But he doesn't appear to have been with the father deep with the Father, aligned with the Father. I sometimes wonder, like, if, if that older brother had been really aligned with his father, maybe he'd have been pacing the veranda, looking out for the other brother as well. Actually, maybe even more than that, maybe the older brother would have said, Father, I hear you're yearning for him. How about I go find him? I will track him down. I will go to a faraway land and bring him back but I don't think that's what this older brother did. I think he was on about his business on the farm, trying to be a good son, doing the right thing, but not close aligned with the father's heart. Sometimes I wonder if I'm a little bit more like the older brother than the younger son. There's part of me that yearns to be that younger brother who who runs and falls into the arms of my heavenly father. 
but I'm probably more like the older brother where I, I kind of want to earn God's favour instead of falling into his arms and allowing him to embrace me, doubting God's goodness. Now, you might relate to this story in a number of different ways. Some of you might relate to this story and think of your heavenly father as someone that you totally ran to. As soon as you heard that his arms were open, you ran and you received that embrace and you have been there ever since. And that's fantastic. But it isn't the case for everybody. Some people saw the father and came back very slowly rehearsing the script of what they're going to say as they approach the Father. Some people came back, but only so far, and, and sort of doing like a dance around the Father, going, I, I, I want to come, I want to be in your embrace, but you don't know me. There is, there is too much in me that allows me to go and be in your embrace. And some people came home, but they snuck in a side gate and have spent year upon year upon year serving as a worker on the farm, hoping to earn the God's favour, to, to earn the Father's favour, when in reality it is being freely offered with open arms. Some came back and said to receive the, the Father's embrace is just too much. I can't bear it. And I think that that's shame. Maybe they were fearing something. Maybe they were fearing uh, rejection, that if, that if the father rejected them, that it would just be too much, it would be unbearable. Maybe they're fearing that hard conversation where the father says, you know, what you did was wrong. And, and mind you, I suspect that this father had that conversation with his younger son. I'm sure of it, but I don't think he had it in that moment of embrace. I think he had it somewhere later when the son was sure of his belonging, sure of the father's embrace. You may relate to some of those different stories. Some of them are mine. But I, I think that they are based in something that's not true about the father. Make no mistake, the father runs headlong towards us. He sees us coming. He has always loved us. He's been pacing the porch, waiting to catch a glimpse of us from far off, coming his way. When you look at this story in the book of Luke, it's actually Jesus telling the story. He's telling it to a group of people, you know, some tax collectors, some religious leaders, a group of people around him. He actually tells three stories in a row. The first story he tells is of uh, a person who owns 100 sheep, and loses one. The second story is a woman who has 10 coins and loses one. She moves everything in order to find that one coin. And when she finds it, she celebrates. And the same with the sheep. That one sheep, when it was found, it was celebrated. And then there's this story of that one son who was found and is celebrated. And I can't help but think when I read this and I think of Jesus telling it, I can't help but think, actually, Jesus is the perfect big brother, the perfect older son, the perfect brother in this story. He didn't stay at home unwilling to share the riches of his father's kingdom. 
He went to a faraway land in order to bring his father's children home so that they might share in the riches of his father's kingdom. That's a beautiful older brother. That's the perfect older brother. Now, I think in my life, I have actually... I felt that Jesus found me. I have felt that Jesus walked that long journey home with me. But I've had to process a lot of fears and a lot of hesitations about coming back fully into the arms of the Father. So it's one thing to actually be back, but it's another thing to actually allow our Heavenly Father to fully embrace us and fully reinstate us. So my question is, what would it take for you to fully be embraced by your Heavenly Father, to come all the way home, not just some of the way home, but all of the way home, so that your heart is aligned with his. And this isn't just something that you do by lots of diligent study or by having all the right kind of rhythms and quiet times and whatever. This is something that you just have to choose to do. It's just about a willingness to come all the way, all the way as you are, with the blisters, with the dust, with or without your dignity intact. It doesn't matter. And if you've got reservations about what it looks like to come all the way back into the Father's presence and be embraced fully by him, then it's probably worth figuring out what those, res re what those reservations are and working through them, maybe naming them and asking them, are they legitimate? Are they true? Are they real? See, this story that Jesus told of the man who had two sons it ends without a great resolution. I want to read the rest of the story and find out, did the older brother like make up? Did he come back in and say, oh, okay, it's great to have you back and did they live a long, happy life? Or did he stay cross? Or did he maybe even leave? Or did the younger brother stay fully in that embrace? Or did he get to the end of the night with his tummy full of fattened calf and the ring on his finger and, and fall into bed and go, I don't deserve this? and pull it off and sneak out the back door and leave again? Did he actually stay? And the reality is, is we don't know. And we don't know for a reason, because the story is not about the two sons. Maybe we've named the, song, the story wrong. Maybe we've called it the prodigal son, but it's actually the magnificent father is what it should be called. Because what we do know is we do know what the father did. The father offered full embrace for the son who'd wandered away. The father offered full embrace for the son who'd always stayed but was far off in a different way. This father offers full welcome, pardon, grace and reinstatement. It's a story about the father and the father's actions. And when Jesus is telling it, he's talking to us about who God the Father is and showing us two characters and in the way in which he responds to them. Now, the people listening to the story might have been quite horrified at hearing the son who squandered his father's money in a faraway land in all sorts of terrible, terrible ways 
maybe they were listening to the story and expecting that good quality father to kick that boy to the curb and to tell him you've brought shame on the family. Maybe that's what they were expecting. But that's not what they got. When Jesus told the story, he said, this is about grace. This is about invitation. This is about reconciling. This is about the Heavenly Father's offer of embrace, regardless of what we've done, who we've been, where we've come from, what's been done to us, or how we've lived. This is an offer of full embrace, receiving the unconditional love of the Father. Our Heavenly Father does not trick his children. He does not reject those who come to him willingly. He does not chastise and tell them off before he's embraced them and reinstated them. And he sends his son out to find us. He sent Jesus out to find us, to bring us back and to walk that journey home with him. And he celebrates when we get home. When we actually choose to be in the place of full embrace in the Father's arms, it is then that we're able to act in a way that Rosetta and Ian were talking about before, of being able to love out of a place of deep security and love and knowing that that is where we belong. You may be one of those people who ran headlong into the Father's arms and stayed there ever since. And if that's the case, then you've got a great call on your life. Out of that deep knowing of who you are, that is, that is out of which you will love. That is the place out of which you will love. That it, it is out of that security and certainty and identity being found in him that you will love others. You may be someone who's still far off in a faraway land. And maybe, I would like to suggest to you today, that if you are still far off in a faraway land... Today, the older brother, the father's son, has found you. You have been found, and he is willing to walk that journey back to the father with you, right here today, to begin it. And the question is, will you take the long way? Will you be resistant? Or will you actually go, okay, I get that the father's embrace is full, free, and available. And will you walk back to the father? You may be like I've been, um, quite sure of my relationship with Jesus, quite sure of the fact that he's taking me back to the Father, but for some deep, unexplainable reason, hesitant to fall headlong fully into the Father's arms. And that's why at the beginning I said, I'm a little bit um, yearning to be like the younger son, to just with, with, with complete abandon put myself into the Father's arms. But there's some complexities. There's some things that I've always had to work through uh, and, and to, to continue to inch closer and further and deeper into who the Father is and the love that he has for me. You, you might actually have to do some of that work as well. Questioning why. Why is it that I won't throw myself fully in there? You know, are there some, some things in your life that you need to work through? Is it, you know, is it just a, um, I need to be tough enough and being in the Father's arms seems weak and I'm strong enough to live my own life. No, no, no. In the Father's arms is the only place to be found. It is the best place to be found.
It's the place out of which we can then go on and be fully who we're meant to be. We're going to listen to a song in a moment. And I wonder if during that song you might reflect and just sit and think about where is it that you are in relation to your Heavenly Father? Are you deep in his embrace? Then enjoy that place. Are you a little bit further away and and not sure why? Then maybe ask, God, what is it? Why is it that I cannot sit closer to you? Why is it that I cannot lean in? Why is it that I cannot let you fall upon my neck and embrace you? Because if we do, God will say, I have always loved you. I have always loved you. This is where you belong. You are mine. And then out of that, we can love others. What a magnificent father. Thank you.